0: This last week, uh, some of you may have had the national night out. We were able to have that, and our backyard was filled with all kinds of with people. And we had neighbors who brought horses in a wagon. We had this big military kind of emergency response truck, and then our own David Willer from our church flew in with this helicopter with from the state police, made around. It was just really fun. We're neighborhood hits now, so you know. <laughs> No, we had just a great time, and, and it was just it really was a special time to be with neighbors and to get to know them and We encourage us as a church to to build those kind of relationships because you never know when someone may just be there in a position where God has you to pray for them, to reach out to them to share how much Jesus loves them in whatever way that might be let 's pray, Father, thank you for this opportunity to talk about not being afraid to dream. And we can do that because we know you are a God who supports um, your work through our lives. We we get to participate with your dreams and what you want to do. So God, we pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, pursuing one's dreams has no age limit, and I say that not in the sense that we're here to pursue the American dream, and that's not what the gospel's about. The gospel's about pursuing the dreams that God places in your heart for His kingdom. But I think a lot of times we think of dreaming as something only for the young, but it really isn't. It's, it's for all ages. There is a story, Barbara Hillary, she was 75, and she fulfilled her dream to reach the North Pole, and then four years later, at um, 79, she reached the South Pole, making her the first African American woman to reach both poles. So, I, 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 dreaming is a gift of God for any and every age. There's a guy named Fauja Singh at age 100 became the first centenarian to complete a marathon when he ran the Toronto Marathon with a, a time of 8 hours, 11 minutes, and 6 seconds. He started running in his 80s. His dreaming is a gift from God for any and every age. There is a person called Kimani Marouj, who always dreamed of going to school. And at age 84, Marouj enrolled in a primary school in Eldorit, Kenya after the government announced universal and free education, so at 84, he decided to do that. And he was actually, because of what he did, was such an inspiration that they flew him to New York for the first time when he was in his 80s, where he shared how education made a difference in his life. Dreaming is a gift from God at any and every age. And as you look at the Word of God, you see this. Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans Dreams of a land, a place where he could raise his family free from the evil influence of a Babylon and God calls him into this dream that he placed on his heart. He says, leave your country, your people and go into the land I will show you and Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. We're told that Sarah also with Abraham dreamed of a child and now the Lord was gracious to Sarah it says in the word of God as he said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him she was 99 so if you're here in your past 55 turn to your spouse if you have a spouse here with you and ask them if you want to get uh, no, no don't do that <laughs> dreaming is a gift from God for any and every age Moses dreamed of freeing his people from Egypt. He tried, but he failed. He ran for his life to the uttermost parts of the then-known world, lived in the desert, and at age 80, think about it, at age 80, God reawakened Moses' dream. Because dreaming is a gift from God for any and every age. So how many people at 50, 60, 70, or even 80 have dreams? How many people are possibly in a place where you had a dream and you've kind of let go of it? We think of dreaming as only for the young. I remember and to kind of be really honest and vulnerable with you, uh, when I turned 60, and I, it was not 60 driving on the expressway or something like that, it, 60 years of age, I remember... I looked at the runway that I had before me and I thought maybe, maybe five, 10 years or so to, to maybe fulfill some more dreams. And I remember feeling a little bit depressed until I, as I was reading the word of God and praying in my quiet times, God said, I can do what I want no matter what age you are. It's not just for the young. So thinking young, it, it, often we think of dreaming. And so what I want us to do today, I want to challenge you to think through what God may have for you right now where you're at, no matter what age you are. And and I want you to think about it this way. If you are young, it may be that you are at a place where you've never done this, but you've never come to God and said, God, what do you want to do with my life? What is your dream for my life? You may be in your middle age years and you may have had a dream and now you kind of have lost it or you're kind of not sure it's going to happen and you may have given up on it and it may be that God is saying this morning to you, reclaim that dream. I have still something that I want to do through you. You may be in a place where you have dreamed and you have actually fulfilled that dream. You've maybe built a business or you've you've had a good run in your career and you're coming to the end of that or it could be that you're in a place where you've seen a number of dreams fulfilled in different ways and God might be telling you and saying to you, hey, I want to birth another one in you. And it may be that you are in that point of aging and God is calling you to think young and to dream again. What I want us to do is look at uh, Joseph. And we're going to look at a guy who dreamed it at his young age. But I want to give you kind of the road map of what happened with Joseph. If you look at Joseph's life, it begins with God's promise. And it moves then to God's preparation. And that at a certain point God promotes so that God can fulfill his purposes. So that's kind of the stops we'll make along the way. So I want you to be thinking about this with Joseph. Joseph was young. He was just 17. And he was out, taking care of a fox, had a dream. I think part of his dream was, God, I've seen how you've worked in my father's lives, and I would like to also be used of you. I, I think it, it could have been as simple as that. And, and you may be, at this point in your life right now, you might be kind of saying, you know, God, I'm, I'm at this point where I also have this little thing in my heart saying, God, I really want to be used of you. And what I find is interesting is God sees that. And when he sees things like that, he comes often with a promise that says, I can use you in these ways. And now it may not be big ways. It may be that God comes to you and he's just saying, where you work, right where you're at, I have a promise for the way that I can use you to influence maybe a few lives. Or it could be that God has given you a gift and it could be that you have been given this kind of gift where it just seems like you're almost like a Joseph who, as he lived his life He's just everything he touched turned to gold you may have an ability to create wealth and, and god is saying i've given you this because i want you to use this to influence a lot of other people because really money is merely power that you can put in people's hands to be able to do certain things could be that God's come to you and, he, and, and you are, let's say, a grandparent and, and for some reason God has placed you in position where maybe you're caring for your grandkids or you're in a position where you are close to your grandkids and God is saying, I just want you to invest in them and, and that's a simple dream, but has great impact. I just want you to think, what is God's promise to you? And are you open? Is there a part of your heart where it's open to God? willing to work in and through you. And what is really interesting is when he comes to us he doesn't expect us to have our act together. We get this kind of idea that we've got to have it all together. God comes to a guy, Joseph, who doesn't, you know, he's just a young guy. He's arrogant. He's, he's, he's immature. And he has things that God has to deal with in his life. But God comes to him and promises to use his life. And he comes to him through a dream. He says, I want you to dream. Because Joseph had a desire to make a difference. And God gives him a promise to his dream. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read the scripture from Genesis 37, 1 through 11. And this is from the Living Bible, so it's going to read a little like a modern translation. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. And Jacob's son Joseph was now 17 years old. His job, along with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wife, Billah and Zilpah, was to shepherd his father's flocks, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things they were doing. So Joseph is a bit of a tattletale, okay? Now as it happened, Israel loved, or Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his older uh, other children because Joseph was born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob gave him a special gift, a brightly colored coat. So in his old age, he's given a brightly colored coat, and people, there's all kinds of ideas what this brightly colored coat is. Often it was the sign given to one who would become the kind of manager-CEO of the whole farm, whole business. Because he saw in Joseph, because he was of his of Rachel, his favorite wife, and he saw in Joseph the ability and gifts to manage the business. So, he gives him this, great, this colored coat. His brothers, of course, noticed their father's partiality, and consequently, they hated Joseph. They could say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brother, causing even deeper hatred. Listen to this, he proudly announced. We were out in the field building and binding our sheaves, and my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves all gathered around it and bowed low before it. So you want to be a king, do you? His brothers d- derided And they hated him both for the dream and for his cocky attitude. And then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Listen to my latest dream, he boasted. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told his father as well as his brothers. But his father rebuked him. What is this, he asked. Shall I indeed and your mother and brothers come and bow before you? His brothers were fit to be tied concerning this affair. But his father gave it quite a bit of thought and wondered what it all meant. Thanks, you may be seated. I think what's interesting in this is is verse 5 and 8, it says they hated him even more. And that's a good translation, but the actual um, translation is a play on words because the word Joseph means added. That's what the word Joseph means. His name meant added or increased because Joseph was the kind of person that whatever he touched, he added to it, he increased it. And you see that in his life. So there's a, a, a literal translation would be they Josephed their hate. For him. They added to their hate, hate for him. And so like when, a, when a, a good Hebrew is reading that, they're kind of laughing, snickering, because they, they love playing words. That's part of the Hebrew humor, if you read in, in the actual Hebrew language. So Joseph has a dream. God promises him, through a dream, to use his life. Because God promises that he will use us for his purposes in spite of our age, in spite of our immaturity, in spite of our sin in spite of our selfishness he says if you're if if there's a little bit of place in your heart that you're open to me and you're willing to pursue me i'll use you that's god's promise i'll use you to touch others it could be through your work and the skills he's given you it could be your desire to be with youth or to teach children to help underprivileged it could be to counsel to organize however He'll take what you have, and he'll begin to use it. And he comes to us in a lot of different ways. And Joseph, he came through a dream. And so God comes to him in this dream, and he gives him these dreams. You know, he shares it with his family. You kind of go, well, is that the best move? But he does. Because God comes with his promises in lots of different ways. He comes with his promises to you in different ways. If you're open to him. He can come through the reading of the Bible. Just when you take time to read his word, he might come to you with a promise. Or you're sitting here in worship. It could be through a sermon. It could be through a friend's suggestion as you're talking with them. Or it could be as you're walking out in the midst of nature and you're opening your hearts to him and he comes and he speaks to you. And it can even be through a dream because he calls us with a promise. And that promise is that he will use us in order to do the things that he purposes, which has been, in a sense, His dream. But he also is into growing a servant. And and part of what happens when he comes to us with a promise is he knows a lot of times for that promise to be fulfilled, he needs to come and he needs to prepare us. He needs to take us from where we're at so that we can be in a place where we can truly be used as God desires for us to be used. So he doesn't take Joseph right away and say, okay, I'm going to make you you know, leader and, and puts him in this position, what happens in his life is what you just wouldn't expect. As soon as he shares his promise through the dreams that he has, the next thing we read in scripture is that his brothers actually hate him and to the degree that they want to kill him. One of the older brothers says, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's let's." His whole idea was to put him in a well, scare him, and then I'll get him out later and bring him back. And he's going to try and foil his other brother's plans well as he's off one of the other brothers decides hey let's do this let's not kill him let's go ahead and sell him into slavery and i always think about myself when i'm thinking through this this whole time of preparation can you imagine what david is thinking he's been told this promise he says in through this dream he's shared this his brothers hate him and now he's going in a whole different direction than what he ever thought because in his mind, he has to be thinking, look it, I'm gonna be the one, you know, got the colored coat, I got the dream, here it's all kinda working in favor, I will be over Joseph and uh, Jacob and son's business. I always wonder what he was thinking as he was in that caravan on his way to Egypt. Ever been in those kind of situations? You see God working, he seems to be opening some doors and all of a sudden it seems like it gets slammed shut and you're going in a whole different direction. It doesn't fit at all what you sense God promised, how he's going to use you. So he goes to, to Egypt. He gets sold into slavery. He's sold to the house of Potiphar. And he works at Potiphar's house. And what you find is he's working with Potiphar. It's another good step in the preparation. The first one in the preparation was pretty humbling. He's sitting in a caravan. His brothers hate him. The next one is interesting because as he's in Potiphar's house, he's in in the house of a guy who is a a really good businessman. And as Joseph starts, because remember his name means added, it increases, he has the ability to, whatever he begins to do, he does well, and people notice it, and Potiphar noticed it, until the point where Potiphar realized that he could put Joseph in charge of everything so that he could administrate and oversee everything in the household. And he was doing that so much so that Potiphar had no problem entrusting everything to him. didn't even have to look at it. And Joseph seems to be kind of working his way up, but he's far from his home. He's far from his dream. Until Potiphar's wife kind of goes, boy, he's a good-looking guy. He's in his 20s. And he's tempted. It says that he wouldn't even find himself being alone with her because he, he himself was, knew what was going on. Until finally one day, she grabs his, his cloak, and as he's running, it tears off, and she makes this claim, falsely accuses him and says, hey, to Potiphar, you know that, he says, that Hebrew, is kind of a pejorative term, it was a, a negative term. And he says, that Hebrew slave you brought here, look what he tried to do, he tried to rape me. And so Potiphar has to take care of his wife, goes ahead, and they throw him into prison. He gets thrown into prison. And I think this is interesting. He first gets humbled as he's sitting in a caravan. He goes along. He's now in Potiphar's home. God is teaching him things here. He's teaching him how to run a business, how to manage this business. He's preparing him in ways that he would never know. And now he's thrown into prison. You go, why would you go? And I'm sure in his mind, every step seems to be getting worse and worse. So he's in prison. And as he's in prison... Uh, he, he's got to be wondering, what in the world are you doing, God? And God is going, I'm sending you to graduate school. Uh, this, you've had your kind of college education Now you're going to graduate school. And Joseph had no idea what God was doing. He, he, all he saw was a closed door in a prison cell. You ever been in those kind of situations where, where you don't realize in any way what God is doing? And now you look back and you go, boy, I can't believe what God did there. How he used that to prepare me for where I'm at today. Some of you may be in that place you go, and I just don't get it. And what I find is interesting is, is, is about Joseph is that he, in each and every place he goes, instead of getting bitter, instead of getting angry with God and angry with others, he turns it into a way where he goes, I'm just going to do my best in this situation. I think in Joseph's heart, he was not thinking, hey, uh, you know, this dream you gave me, the promise you made to me, God, I, I in, in, sitting in the caravan on a way to Egypt, being a slave in a in a in a very wealthy person's home, and now being in prison, isn't kind of my idea of of she's bowing down and 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 the kind of leadership that I thought you called me to. And maybe you found yourself kind of in that place. Where you're kind of going, I, "This is not what I thought the promise was." And you could even be giving up on that promise and going, "I, I just don't see how this is ever going to work out." And all of a sudden, as you come to this place and you're in this place where maybe you're in a prison or you're in this home. What I find is interesting, what I challenge you to think about is this, in each of these places, Joseph did his best. His attitude was one that, God, I don't get this, but I'm going I'm to do my best, I'm going to serve. And I don't know what place you might be in, but I can tell you one of the things that helps you move along in this process of a promise and through the preparation to someday this promotion is that through that time of preparation, you look at every place you're in right now, the place you're in, you say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but in this place, I'm going to give you my best. And it could be in a work situation. It could be with an illness. It could be in 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 difficulties of relationship with family. I don't know what it is, but in every one of these places, God, I'm going to show up with an attitude that says, God, I know your hands on my life. I know that you love me. I know that you've promised something for me. And in this time, I look at this as preparation. And so here is Joseph. He's going to graduate school, and he's giving his best. And once again, when he's in prison... The chief jailer looks at his wisdom, his giftedness, his leadership skills, and his attitude, and he puts him in charge of everything. Listen to what it says in Joseph in Genesis 39, 20 through 23. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But when Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success or added to, gave increase in whatever he did. I I think here's Joseph once again rising to the top, faithful in doing his best and giving his best, allowing God to prepare him for whatever God would have next for him. And what I think is really interesting is how God does this. This is why I call it graduate school. Look at that verse up there. It says, Joseph, master, took him and put him in prison. Guess the prison he was in? The place where the king's prisoners were confined. So he, when he was when he's getting his college degree, he got a bunch of stuff in business. And so he was in Potiphar's house. He's learning a lot about business, how to run things, how to do things. Now he gets thrown into another one. He's still using his kind of his his degree in in, in, in administrating and running things but now he's getting another part of education he's learning the whole political system because at a certain times people from the pharaoh's court would be thrown into this political prison and so at one point there was a baker and a cup uh, chief cupbearer comes in and, and and in that midst he's getting a political science education. He's getting his MBA as well as he's getting some other degrees in what it means to run this large kingdom. He has no idea that's going to happen, but he's getting trained and he's learning the ins and outs of Pharaoh's court. That was God's way of preparing him. And Joseph learned. How to do that until one day a cupbearer and a baker come down to cupbearer and they both have dreams. They've both been thrown into prison because Pharaoh's upset with them and they don't understand their dreams. And so Joseph tells the baker, the cupbearer, his dream that, hey, guess what? In three days, Pharaoh's going to get you out. So when you when he comes to take you out, would you remember me? Joseph says, you know, just remember who who got you out. The dream was interpreted. And then he tells the baker, baker, not such a great dream because he has to tell him, you know what, in three days, your head will be off. And it says in Genesis chapter 39, 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. The guy doesn't even give him a second thought. Worse yet, you have to begin to wonder if Joseph is wondering whether God has completely forgot him, because the next line in scripture is this. When two full years had passed. Have you ever been in those situations where it just seemed like God was doing things and also now it just seems like he's completely forgotten you? For two whole years, Pharaoh, uh, Joseph is just wondering, I, and God, I thought you promised me through this dream, I've been doing my best to be prepared, and then it says Pharaoh had a dream. He has no idea, but at a certain point, as Pharaoh's dreaming, he can't interpret it. He hears from the chief cupbearer. He goes, "Hey, guess what? I was in this prison, and it's being run by this guy named Joseph. And you know, I know he can. I think he can interpret dreams." They call Joseph up. Joseph comes before Pharaoh, interprets the dream. Pharaoh is so impressed so impressed with not just the fact he interpreted dreams, you know he had to look at his resume. He goes, "I, I, I can't believe anybody who could be as prepared to be second in charge here. And God promotes him in his sovereign time. God comes along and says, you know what? I know when the time is right. And he takes him and he promotes him. And think about this. It was a promotion way beyond what a 17-year-old ever dreamed it would be. Think back when he was 17. You think he was thinking that he would someday be running Egypt? And one of the reasons I think it's interesting, if God has given you a promise and you're in this place and maybe you're in a preparation time right now and you're, you're saying, God, why don't you promote me to do what I think that I was created to do? This seems so far beneath what I was... Told you to do or what I was created to do. One of the reasons why I tell you when you, when God gives you a promise, really hold it loosely. Be careful how you frame it. Because it's going to be probably far less than what God has in mind. God had far bigger things for Joseph than he could have ever thought. And also know this, the bigger the dream, the longer the preparation. And often, Possibly the more painful the preparation. Because what God was doing through that time was not just preparing him and training him in things that he needed in skills, but he was also training him in humility. He was teaching him patience. He doesn't teach him patience just to learn how to wait. You know the reason the patience is really there? It's to teach him who's in charge. Do you know that sometimes when God is causing you to wait, he's causing you to wait because he wants you to know, what you know what, this isn't in your hands anyway. This is about me. This is about what I would call is my greatest and greater purposes. Because this is the fourth important step is when you look at this whole idea of his promise and his preparation, which at at God's sovereign time, he promotes when he knows things are ready. The reason he waits as well to get to that point is not only what he's doing in you, but what he needs to do outside of you. So when he comes to this place, the fourth point is, as he dreams, God says, for his purposes. And his purposes, again, are far beyond what a 17-year-old could have ever dreamed. Think about this. Here is, here is Joseph. God had much greater purposes than a 17-year-old could ever think about. Three things happen when Joseph gets promoted. Three purposes that God had in mind. One is he feeds the people. There's a whole group of people that that were in a position where without Joseph running the the storehouses and knowing how to, to manage the wealth of the kingdom, they would never get fed. He saved a whole lot of people from starvation. Joseph never thought of that at 17. There's another purpose that happens in this, and that is that Joseph had no idea that God was going to take him, put him in this position, so that someday, as, as he takes all of Israel, brings them into Egypt, someday he was going to take this position of their slavery, and he was going to teach them the greatest lesson this people could ever learn, and that he was going to free them. He was going to show them their so- his sovereign power, and someday he would lead them back out through Moses. And so not only was he going to feed him, but someday he was going to free these people, this this next year I'm really excited because we're going to go through the pretty much through the year we're going to go through the book of Exodus and we're going to get a study through the book of Exodus. What does it mean for God to make a way for you when there seems to be no way? And so then he goes and he frees the people. Here's the thing that I think is the most interesting to me is that God uses this to teach one of the most important things that we all need to know, and that's forgiveness. What I find interesting in the story of Genesis, Genesis means beginnings, means beginnings. He begins by creating this beautiful creation and soon afterwards, this beautiful creation is broken because of our sin. And so there's brokenness. There's brokenness between God and creation, but what we also find is there's brokenness between man and God. And then there's a brokenness in the marriage, Adam and Eve. And then you see a brokenness in who? Two brothers. Two brothers who, who one fights and, and kills him And the relationship is completely ruptured. And what you find when you come to the end of Genesis, chapter 50, is it ends with this incredible story of forgiveness. The very last chapter is all about God's forgiveness. It says that Joseph says to his brothers who are afraid that he's going to kill him. he says, am I in the place of God? He's now understood his place. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. And then he uses these words, the saving of many lives. Genesis ends with this unbelievable story of forgiveness. The author is pointing us to something every humble and honest heart dreams of. Every person longs for and desires. Every marriage needs it. All families will disintegrate without it. In every relationship, it is essential. Forgiveness, And it points to what Jesus is going to do someday in forgiveness. So he has this this dream and God says, I will use it, but I will first take this promise in your heart and prepare you. And as I prepare you, I'll promote you at the right time. And when I promote you, I have these purposes in mind that you could never, ever understand. I don't know what purpose God has in and through you. But I can guarantee it will be something greater than you could have imagined. I've asked um, Ron Frick to come and to share, I've the worship team to come forward at this time as well, but I've asked Ron to come and share um, his story and how God has been at work in his life. I've had the opportunity over the last couple of years to kind of journey with Ron. Ron had worked at General Mills and now is um, retirement, is yes. that kind of what you're doing? Okay, retirement, at 35 years of age he's retired, <laughs> which is amazing to me. No, um, but I'm just really excited because Ron shared this, and, and I thought, boy, as I've watched it and then just seen how it's developed, I thought, what a cool promise and dream God's placed in your heart. Do you want to tell us about
1: it? Well, well thank you, Kevin. So, um, Kevin asked me to share a dream, but um, to be candid, my dream actually started as a nightmare, um, and it wasn't about thinking young, it was actually about um being afraid of dying young. Um, It started back in 2005. Um, I had a brother who got re-diagnosed with cancer, and um, it had been dormant for 20 years, and all of a sudden it came back after he was married and after he had three young daughters. Um, I was a lukewarm Christian at the time. Um, I was angry at God, and I wanted answers. I had not read the Bible at that time, but I opened it up randomly. I randomly pointed, and it was Proverbs 24, 16, which says, "...the righteous will fall seven times, it rise every time." And, I mean, I'm not an expert in Bible at that time for sure, still am not, but I think I knew what that meant. I got a hold of my brother and I said, here's the deal, suck it up, you got five more battles in you, you're going to be able to raise your daughters. Um, well, five years went by and five more battles he went through and he did pass away in 2010, but it was not before he had a blessed relationship with his three daughters and that he and I grew in our faith together. And, um, it was at that time that I really realized that life was so precious, um, and that I wanted to make an impact like he had done in his short five years I didn't know where that impact was gonna come from. I didn't know what my purpose was, but I had started reading the Bible enough to know that I think it had something to do with leveraging my God-given talents. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I knew I was, I thought, a pretty good salesperson. Um, I thought I really enjoyed working in the food industry and I was working at General Mills. The thing that was a little unique, though, is I worked in the 10% of General Mills that is food service where you sell ingredients to restaurants, not the 90%, which is more of the grocery piece. And it was there I got to meet um, Feeding America, which is the largest uh, food bank in the United States. And um, I realized I really enjoyed working um, with giving free food to people. I guess it was better than trying to sell food. Um, but in addition to free food, I relearned something I knew as a kid, and that was I really liked being out of the office, rolling up my sleeves, and working with my hands. So I was like, I think this might be it. And then over the next... 30 days, I thought it was random occasions, but it wasn't. I met five different people from Feeding America. They had told me how they cracked the code on getting food waste from food manufacturers, like a General Mills, and grocery stores like Cub Foods, and they had four billion pounds of food going to the hunger, hungry. I'm like, wow. And all of a sudden, but I'm not in that piece of business. I'm in food service. So I asked an innocent question, which is, well, what about the food that comes from restaurants? And they said, we don't know. I said, could you find out how much of the four billion pounds is from restaurants? They came back a week later, it's two percent. And I'm like, Do you guys know that fifty percent of the food in the United States is goes through restaurants and there's another four billion pounds of food that could go to the hunger hungry. My head got about this big. I had a lot of pride. I thought I had cracked the code. I was going to solve U.S. hunger, Um, even, (laughs) even to the point I put together this really cool PowerPoint presentation, which Kevin could attest to. And I showed him how I I was impressed too. Yeah, I I had figured this all out. Kevin and George asked how they could help. How was it a free could help? And I had enough pride to say I don't think you can help because I have this all figured out. And if that wasn't enough, I added, this is so simple, I don't know why anyone else hasn't done it, because I had a lot of uh, customers that were distributors that were dropping off ingredients at restaurants all over the nation, and they could pick up the prepared food, bring it back to the food bank, and I'm like, this is simple. All right, so three years goes by, talk about patience. (laughs) Um, And I was one month away from executing this. I had everything all set up, and all of a sudden I hit a bunch of stumbling blocks. Food from a restaurant, going to a food bank, by the time it gets to those in need, the food can be bad, didn't know that. Secondly, a lot of my customers realized that labor of bringing it back to their truck was more than they could bear. And then third, corporate America is a little skittish about food safety. So here I was a month before, I was ready to execute. And by the way, to add a little fuel to the fire here... I would announced my retirement because this is what I wanted to do. <laughs> so I went to work. I shared with someone what had happened. Um, I said, oh, my gosh, I just failed. I'm going to retire in a month, and I'm going to be at home doing nothing, and my wife is going to kill me. <laughs> That person also chuckled and said, but have you talked to the person down the hallway because I think they're working with Feeding America, and I think they might have solved this problem. I about fell out of my chair. I went down to talk to them, and sure enough, they had cracked the code. Um, I'll share with you what the solution is. Before I do that, I went home that night, and I was thinking about my pride. I was thinking about my failure. I was thinking about three years of wasted time, and I reflected that in here the week before, Kevin had a message on serving, and he asked us to pray. And I had heard four words popped in my head. It was West Metro and it was humbly serve. And all of a sudden I realized, this dream still can happen. It's just not the way I wanted it or planned it. I needed to humbly serve. So the next day, I signed up as a volunteer driver. And um, the funny thing about this is, what I really loved is, I love being outside, rolling up my sleeve and working with my hands. If I would have been leading this, I would have been behind a desk I get to now get up every day and do what I love, which I'm glad my plan failed and his is happening. So that was kind of my journey. And what I wanna do is just share a little bit about what the solution is. It's called Meal Connect. It connects meals from restaurant to people in need. 150 million people are food insecure in the United States. Um, it's kind of like um, Meals on Wheels meets Uber. Someone really smart created an app that allows a restaurant to post the food It allows a food agency with hungry people to claim what they need, and then it finds a driver that can pick it up and deliver it in one hour. So they solved all those problems that I had encountered, and so, what we're really looking for is volunteer drivers. And um, if you are, have interest in, in helping out, um, I'm going to be in the back um, to, to share a little bit more about it. Um, you know, one of our customers um, or one of the pickup points that I had just to share with you guys a little bit about it was Simples. I don't know if you're familiar, but they're a little restaurant chain in Dinkytown. The first pickup I had, they had about 50 infused bottles of water with fruit and berries, all natural, organic. They sell for about four. a piece they had me go to Ascension House which is a women's batter shelter in Minneapolis you would not believe the joy that this brought they're like we never have natural organic we never could afford a luxury what a joy the only thing that was better was the following week, I went back to Simples, and I told them the story that they put smiles on women's faces that maybe hadn't a smile for months. You would not believe how much food they loaded me up, and then that went That went to uh, Bridge of Youth, which is a teen addiction center, and this whole program just started six months ago. 300,000 pounds have been donated, not one pound from West Metro. So I think the dream might be that we can be a spark to get the West Metro food donations going. Um, I need three to four volunteers, yep. maybe, to pilot this and to test it. Um, Got to be able to carry 50 pounds of, in a cooler. Uh, you need a smartphone. Two people could do it. Right? You probably could. Yep, if, if you, you want wanted, to, to, or wanted to team up. Um, you need to have a vehicle that you're willing to drive 20, 40 miles round trip. Um, and the hours are 8 to 5 Monday through Friday, but you can pick the days, you can pick the hours, and maybe only 2 hours a week. So, if it's in your heart, I would love for you to join me as a volunteer driver, because I think we have a chance that we may dare to dream that this could be bigger than Minneapolis and Minnesota, it could be for the United States. So what
0: I think is interesting is when you were in like your low, really one of your lowest points, because you'd put all this energy, you're ready to retire, you're ready to do this, you'd been working with a big food organization that was going to be the person to help you, and then they backed out, and someone tells you, down the hall, someone is working on the same thing, and you had no idea. (laughs) Yes. And they were, it was basically, I think, like a million dollars of of General Mills Foundation and um, Google put it together to build this kind of like Uber kind of app that could get food to one place to another like that. And you have been doing that. They've tested it, piloted it, and they want to try and do this in the West Metro. Is like one of the first spots, and we get to be one of the first... The first church. first church to ever even do anything like that. And so you could be a part of maybe God fulfilling some things to really make a difference. And I love that story because you've shared this a number of times when you've done some of these things that you'll come in and people have kind of tears in their eyes when you give them something they could never get. And then you go back and the other people kind of have tears in their eyes because they're giving something that they were going to throw away.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it feels like um, you can be the light of Jesus to the donors, the agencies, um, to the food insecure, and even to the other volunteers. It's just amazing, I think, the the potential impact that could be made. So
0: I thank you, Ron, for sharing this and for this journey that we've been able to kinda of walk together on. I just kinda of sit in the back and wave and <laughs> that God has taken you up and down and around and He has given you a promise, He's prepared you and I think this could be this time of He's kinda of lifting up and to do a purpose far greater than maybe what you could have imagined. So let's pray together. I'm gonna to ask you to stand and and invite you to um think about it. if God wants you to be a part of it Ron will be in back he can share with you more there's some sign up if you're interested Father I thank you for Ron and Sherry for, for their um, heart for you and for how you are working in their lives And God I, I do pray that if this is um, something that you want to just expand to other cities and to other places that you would move it in that way and, and thank you for letting us be a part of this to begin this and to to see you work in this way Father I say pray this and I pray that you would be working in that God I also want to pause right now and God if there is anyone where they're reaching out to saying God I want to be used by you whether you're 17 or 40 or 60 or 80 God I pray that you would be at work in their hearts maybe reclaiming a dream maybe forming a dream maybe God you're you're placing a dream and birthing a new one and someone that just said I, I, I didn't think I could be used by you God but I, if, if you can use an immature prideful selfish Joseph I, I want my hand to be raised if you can use me in any way God would you use me would you just tell him that in your heart say God use me let God speak to you. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for how faithful you are to your dreams and that you call us into them and that we can walk with you into those. It's not about us but it's about you and who you are and who you plan to make known to the world we thank you in Christ's name